Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Anderson and welcome to the third episode of the Zoomer podcast. Uh, so I thought I would do things a bit different this time around and uh, we're going to be going over a book and this is actually a book I read about four years ago, um, 20, 2017. I was a senior in high school and now I'm a senior in college, but the book is titled How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it's written by Dale Carnegie. Now, Dale Carnegie was born in the late 1800s, and this book was written in 1936, I believe. Um, you may be thinking, is that a Carnegie related to Andrew Carnegie? And no, it is not, even though I kind of thought they were about four years ago, but uh, they're actually not. So, before he wrote this book, he actually hosted classes, uh, and they were kind of like self-help classes. He would teach ba uh, basics of, you know, communication and relationship building to people. And the, in those classes, it was kind of like in a big hall, you know, uh, there would be people, they would share their experiences, and they would go over that experience and, uh, you know, learn and teach from it. So, one of the first things I want to go over in this book and there is I believe three sections to this book but we're going to just be covering the first section um, is a story and this book has a lot of stories kind of like what I mentioned in the classes the examples were shared so essentially they Carnegie goes over the mafia and it was about Al Capone and he told the story and he said if Al Capone two-gun Crowley Dutch Colts and the desperate men and women behind prison walls don't blame themselves for anything what about the people with whom you and I come in contact so you know Al Capone and his gang they got busted sent to jail and they had no regrets didn't blame themselves for getting caught or anything else so it makes you wonder you, these people you run into from you know work school or your just daily life probably share some similar things even even probably yourself so he goes on to say uh talk about another person called john wanamaker and apparently he was the founder of a couple of stores and john stated i learned 30 years ago that it is foolish to scold I have enough trouble overcoming my own limitations without fretting over the fact that God has not seen fit to distribute evenly the gift of intelligence. So, yeah, Wanamaker learned this lesson early, uh, and then Carnegie goes on to state, but I personally had to blunder through this old world for a third of a century before it even began to draw upon me that 99 times out of 100, people don't criticize themselves for anything, no matter how wrong it may be. And I think... This is a pretty strong statement. Um, you know, I think about my past and some of my failings, and I would always try to shift blame in some sort of way, um, whether it be, oh, it was the, you know, the environment that caused it, of, of the situation, uh, or, you know, another person. 
But doing that, it's it's not really effective because you kind of got to own your mistakes um, or your else you're not going to grow. So and then, you know, shifting the blame to someone else, criticizing someone. Maybe they did indeed a team member uh, did indeed drop the ball on something. You know, what's the point of criticizing them? It's kind of futile. Uh, it's better to be more constructive, get constructive feedback and uh you know, learn that way. So he, uh, Carnegie goes on to state, criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. So yeah, I totally agree with this. I mean, think about, you know, calling out a person, maybe you're doing a group project and your team member doesn't do anything. Call them out for not doing it. What's that person going to do? They're going to get defensive. They're going to, you know, Try to shift it to another person, to even you, uh, to try to justify himself. So, and in, Carnegie writes, criticism is dangerous because it wounds a pers- person's precious pride, hurts his sense of importance, and arouses resentment. So, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, and this is an interesting little paragraph here. Uh, listen along very closely. So, B.F. Skinner, the world-famous psychologist, proved through his experiment that an animal rewarded for good behavior will learn much more rapidly and retain what it learns far more effectively than an animal punished for bad behavior. Later studies have shown that the same applies to humans. So, by criticizing, we do not make lasting changes and often incur resentment. So, that kind of reminds me of one of my courses in college where... I messed up on this essay, turned it in late, kind of didn't have any reason why, just that I forgot about it. And instead of being severely punished, as I should have been grade-wise, the professor said, hey, he emailed, I emailed me back after I emailed him. He said, hey, I completely understand that happens. Um, Just try not to get time away from you and not to let it happen again. And so, yeah, I found that that was pretty nice of him but i kind of had that in the back of my head that i shouldn't do that again and it i never turned in a paper late after that uh, even in my other courses and okay so moving along to a pretty i would say interesting story is one that goes back all the way to the civil war with lincoln um president lincoln and it's one of his interactions with one of his generals. Um, so just reading along here, the Battle of Gettysburg was fought during the first three days of July in 1863. During the night of July 4, Lee began to retreat southward while storm clouds deluged the country with rain. When Lee reached the Potomac with his defeated army, he found a swollen, impassable river in front of him and a victorious Union army behind him. Lee was in a trap. He couldn't escape. Lincoln saw that. Here was a golden, heaven-sent opportunity, the opportunity to capture Lee's army and end the war immediately. So, with a surge of high hope, Lincoln ordered Meade not to call a council of war, but to attack Lee immediately. Lincoln telegraphed his orders and then sent a special messenger to Meade, demanding immediate action. And what did General Meade do? He did the very opposite of what he was told to do. He called a council of war in direct violation of Lincoln's orders. He hesitated, he procrastinated, he telegraphed all manner of excuses. 
He refused point blank to attack Lee. The waters receded and Lee escaped over the Potomac with his forces. So of course, you know, that would have probably made Lincoln pretty furious. Uh, continuing reading. Lincoln was furious. What does this mean? Lincoln cried to his son, Robert. Great God, what does this mean? We had them within our grasp and only had to stretch forth our hands and they were ours, yet nothing that I could say or do could make the army move. Under the circumstances, almost any general could have defeated Lee. If I had gone up there, I could have whipped him myself. And so after all of this, he, Lincoln himself, writes down a letter in complete disappointment and this was in 1863 so let's read this uh, letter my dear general i do not believe you appreciate the magnitude of the mis misfortune involved in lee's escape he was within our easy grasp and to have closed upon him would in connection with our other later successes have ended the war as it is the war will be prolonged indefinitely if you cannot safely attack lee last monday how can you possibly do so south of the river when you can take with you very few, no more than two-thirds of your force you then had in hand? It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect you, expect that you can now effect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am distressed immeasurably because of it. So, think about it. You know, he wrote this letter, he was pretty pissed. Um, Lincoln himself and what did you think Lincoln did with that letter he must have mailed it right no me never saw that letter Lincoln never mailed it it was found amongst Lincoln's papers after he died so Carnegie continues to write my guess is and this is only a guess that after writing that letter Lincoln Lincoln looked out the window and said to himself just a minute maybe I ought not to be so hasty is it, it is easy enough for me to sit here in the quiet of the White House and order Meade to attack. But if I had been up at Gettysburg, and if I had seen as much blood as Meade has seen during the last week, and if my ears had been pierced with the screams and shrieks of the wounded and dying, maybe I wouldn't be so anxious to attack either. Anyhow, it is, under the wa it is water under the bridge now. If I send this letter, it will relieve my feelings, but it will make me try to justify himself. It will make him condemn me. It will rouse hard feelings, you know, a bunch of stuff. So that's kind of what happened there. Uh, and it kind of makes sense, you know. Why would he send that letter to just antagonize him? That's, that would have just strained relations between the two even more after that blunder that me did. So yeah, you know, I, I, out of this, I would say what we could learn from it is kind of detach yourself from situations, try to see it from others' perspectives. And that's kind of hard sometimes because, you know, uh, <laughs> it would be pretty hard for myself to be, to imagine myself as, I don't know, uh, someone, you know, a Chinese citizen going through high school there completely different worlds but at least trying to imagine that kind of gives me a deeper understanding of what that person's going through so something we really need to keep in mind when we're really quick to to insult or to blame but we should try try to understand first so yeah the first principle of this book carnegie states is don't criticize condemn or complain and we got to think about this in the 
in the bigger picture of we're learning how to win friends and influence people. I mean, look around at your friend group and your uh, family group. I'm sure you don't have many friends who criticize, condemn, and complain at you 24-7. It's probably very little, if any. Um, And so now chapter two is, I would say, a pretty interesting chapter. It talks about the big secret of dealing with people. and I, I guess I would love to know the big secret of dealing with people, and you would too. So let's get on to it. There is only one way under high heaven to get anybody to do anything. And this is Carnegie writing. Did you ever stop to think of that? Yes, just one way. And that is by making the other person want to do it. So yeah, what way do you get someone to do something? And I I completely agree. You have to make the other person want it or to do it. That reminds me of advertising you know we see all these advertisements in the world now on social media influencers etc those all serve a purpose of making you want said product or insert brand name here i mean it's all to make you want things carnegie goes on to write about a list uh, a list of things that most people just some things that most people would want in life Um, so number one is health and the preservation of life. Number two is food. Number three is sleep. Number four is money and the things money will buy. Number five is life in the hereafter. Number six is sexual gratification. Number seven is the well-being of our children. Number eight, a feeling of importance. So yeah, you think about that. Almost all of those now are pretty gratified or fulfilled, but I would think that one of those is not so easily fulfilled and that's a feeling of importance the last one and reading on lincoln once began a letter saying quote everybody likes a compliment end quote yeah who doesn't like a compliment even from a random stranger um and from your friends and family it's always nice to receive one of those i would say it kind of works on fulfilling that feeling of importance. Okay, and going on with this, um, I'm going to tell you a story, read a story from the book. It's uh, of one of the first people in American business to be paid a salary of over a million dollars a year when there was no income tax and a person earning $50 a week was considered well off. This man was Charles Schwab. He had been picked by Andrew Carnegie to become the first president of the newly formed United States Steel Company in 1921, and when Schwab was only 38 years old. Why did Andrew Carnegie pay a million dollars a year, or more than $3,000 a year, or sorry, a day? And remember, this is in 1930s dollars, so it's probably hundreds of millions now, uh, to Charles Schwab. Why? Because Schwab was a genius? No. Because he knew more about the manufacture of steel than other people? Nonsense. Charles Schwab told me himself that he had other men, many men, working for him who knew more about the manufacture of steel than he did. So Schwab says that he was paid this salary largely because of his ability to deal with people. 
I asked him how he did it. Here is his secret set down in his own words, words that ought to be cast in eternal bronze and hung in every home and school, every shop and office in the land, words that children ought to memorize instead of wasting their time memorizing the conjugation of Latin verbs or the amount of annual rainfall, rainfall in Brazil, words that will all but transform your life and mine if we will only live them. So the quote is, I consider my ability to arouse enthusiasm among my people. Said Schwab, the greatest asset I possess and the way to develop the best that is in a person is by appreciation and encouragement. There is nothing else that so kills the ambitions of a person as criticisms from superiors. I never criticize anyone. I believe in giving a person incentive work, so I am anxious to praise but loath to find fault. If I like anything, I am hearty in my approbation and lavish in my praise. And that's what Schwab did. But you think about even back then, well, what did the average people do? Well, they would do the opposite. They would go quickly to criticize and point out, you know, their employees' faults. The interesting story of how successful a person was just because of their, you know, people skills and I would say you got to be careful with this now because it's kind of a dichotomy. I mean, you if you don't ever criticize, you might be taken advantage of. I mean, you're giving out all these compliments, you know, giving compliments where they're due, hopefully. But you're a boss, for example, you're a boss that never criticizes. So, I don't know. I think that... That is a dichotomy, and you would have to criticize in some sort, maybe giving constructive feedback, because uh, if a person did something wrong, you would think you have to state that in some way. Uh, so, yeah, I really think that appreciation is do where it's due, but also kind of what I would call it, I guess, is you know, constructive feedback. Um, is also necessary but yeah uh, so it's also important to be to have sincere appreciation uh, because I mean, I, we've probably all experienced flattery and in the long run flattery will do you more harm than good Carnegie writes flattery is counterfeit and like counterfeit money it will eventually get you into trouble if you pass it to someone else and so you might be thinking, what's the difference between flattery and sincere appreciation? Well, I would think that sincere appreciation is, as the word states, sincere, but that it comes from your heart. Um, but the other one doesn't. It's, you know, you're lying out your teeth. Uh, and I would say, you know, one selfish and unselfish. So, yeah, that's the second principle. Give honest and sincere appreciation. Moving on to the next chapter, um, I want you all to think about when you've tried to get someone to do something, uh, anything, and they say, no, you know, I'm not going to do it. Uh, Carnegie writes, he who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks a lonely way. And he writes about a fishing story, so listen closely. 
often went fishing up in Maine during the summer. Personally, I am very fond of strawberries and cream, but I found that for some strange reason, fish prefer worms. So when I went fishing, I didn't think about what I wanted. I thought about what they wanted. I didn't bake the hook with strawberries and cream. Rather, I dangled a worm or a grasshopper in front of the fish and said, wouldn't you like to have that? Why not use the same common sense when fishing for people? So yeah, this is a big concept that I think we might have thought of, thought about before, maybe implemented a couple times, but it's pretty big. Uh, Carnegie writes, why talk about what we want? This is childish, absurd. Of course, you are interested in what you want. You are eternally interested in it, but no one else is. The rest of us are just like you. We are interested in what we want. So, the only way on earth to influence other people is to talk about what they want and show them how to get it. Remember that tomorrow when you are trying to get someone, somebody to do something. If, for example, you don't want your children to smoke, don't preach at them and don't talk about what you want, but show them that cigarettes may keep them from making the basketball team or winning the 100-yard dash. This is a good thing to remember regardless of whether you are dealing with children or calves or chimpanzees. For example, one day, Ralph Waldo Emerson and his son tried to get a calf into the barn, but they made the common mistake of thinking only of what they wanted. Emerson pushed and his son pulled, but the calf was doing just what they were doing. He was thinking only of what he wanted, so he stiffened his legs and stubbornly refused to leave the pasture. The Irish housemaid saw the predic predicament. She couldn't write essays and books, but on this occasion at least, she had more horse sense or calf sense than Emerson had. She thought of what the calf wanted, so she put her maternal finger on the calf's mouth and let the calf suck her finger as she gently led him into the barn. So think about that for a second. When have we asked something of someone and it was just a completely, uh, I'm going to phrase it as selfish ask, like, hey, can you do this for me what does that other person gain um and you phrase we phrase it as a question not for them but for us you know it's something that we're gaining instead we should try to phrase that question where they gain something from it you know so for example say i'm applying for a couple of jobs and i'm applying for a job at a bank um, and I don't know say I write an email telling them that I'd love to work there and of course who wouldn't you know who's interested in working at banks love to work at X bank uh, but uh, that's so generic and you know that goes back to and uh, selfishly asking for what you want Instead, phrase that email saying, hey, I'm looking to apply for a job at your bank and I would love to further the, uh, the bank's mission and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just talking about you, what you would do for them. But at the same time, you're getting possibly a job out of it. So I think this applies for, you know, most uh, questions that we ask in life of others, um, it, you know, request, but I think it might not apply in every situation, but in most situations it, it does, it does 
apply. Um, so really keep that in mind. And I would say, you know, it's not limited to just a bank job, that logic. Uh, I would say you could use it in any job application. Always put yourself in the perspective of the company that you're applying to, not just yourself, of course. So this is principle number three, arouse in the other person an eager want. So in a nutshell, that's the three principles of fundamental techniques in handling people. Principle one, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Principle two, give honest and sincere appreciation. And principle three, arousing the other person in eager want. I really think that each of those has an everyday use. Uh, I can't think of all the times that I've criticized people throughout my day, even if it's just a mental thought. But those that mental thought and that mental attitude carries on to, you know, your conversations. So you really have to be careful. Uh, and giving honest and sincere appreciation, that's something I'm bad about. Um, even though, like, I'm really happy when someone does X thing, Sometimes I don't really say anything other than, hey, thank you so much. Uh, I think I could go really a bit further in that appreciation, that sincere appreciation um, with honesty. You got to be careful with flattery, right? And the last one, principle three, arousing the other person an eager want. And that's so many applications. Uh, even, I would say, fast food. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you the times how many times they've messed up my order, messed up my order or whatnot. But having a good attitude while you're ordering, like, hey, yeah, I would like the number two. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a silly example, but that might go a long ways in that employee's uh, day. So, yeah, these are the three principles, fundamental techniques in handling people. I'm going to be going over... The other parts of the book, I think there's two more. Um, probably going to make two separate episodes on those because it's kind of lengthy. So stay tuned and be on the watch for those podcast episodes. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, if you want, you can give the podcast a rating. And yeah, thank you so much for listening.